coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast, the next big development in Indianapolis. We get perspective from the man behind the new Indy 11 soccer stadium, plus a change in leadership at a key Indiana business driver. What new leadership at the CICP could mean for Hoosier businesses, foundations, and universities. And a renaissance of sorts in Park County. How two entrepreneurs are transforming tourism in West Central Indiana. And we talk about the week's biggest stories with our partners at the IBJ. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Alex Brown. The Indy 11 called Carroll Stadium on the campus of IUPUI home since the team's first season in 2014, with a short stint in Lucas Oil Stadium. But now, the team could be playing at 11 Park Stadium in the spring of 2025 if Keystone Group wins approval for its ambitious plans. 11 Park could ultimately be a $1 billion project, transforming the diamond chain manufacturing site with a 20,000-seat multi-purpose stadium plus apartments, hotels, office buildings, retail, and more. Ursal Ozdemir, owner of Keystone Group and the Indy 11, joined Gary Dick to talk about the new project. Congratulations on the deal. I know it was a long time coming. You worked, uh, you and others worked very hard around this. 20 sites, we were talking off camera, 20 sites you looked at. What really settled you on this diamond chain site uh, in downtown Indianapolis? Yeah, thank you for having me, Gary. Um, as we have this legislation passed in 2019, uh, we looked for a proper site in Marion County. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, wanted to make sure that we're looking at everything possible through the process. And uh, we had certain criteria that we needed to have uh, part of the project, must-haves. One is the site size. And um, we always personally wish that it should be downtown because, as you know, our city leaders back in the 70s created Sports Corp and went after sports as a business, not just the fund, but to build downtown and the investment for the Bankers Fieldhouse, and renovation, RCA Dome, uh, local soil Indians. And we became a very strong convention in sports town because of that. A lot of jobs created. So we thought it will be great to continue built on that momentum to do that and there aren't a lot of cities in the country that has three sports venues that close mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. plus the convention center and adding a multi-purpose soccer venue would have been amazing if we could find the site because yeah. it's a large site it's hard to do that so through the whole discussions we we lowered the three sites and uh, and this became the front runner when it became available um, recently yeah. I want to talk to you about uh the project, which uh, obviously it's a stadium, but a lot more than that. And I talked with Cushman and Wakefield's Bill French this week about this project uh, as, a, as a multi-purpose project and got his take on what he thinks it can become. It is ambitious, but it's the right place at the right time. Um, being so close to the convention center, Lucas Oil, Elanco, uh, Victory Field, it's just, just the right place for development going forward. Well, it's, it's going to capitalize on the convention trade. It's going to capitalize on the, the sports dollars, things that are coming into Lucas and Victory Field. And then also it's going to connect the downtown business environment as things grow across the river with the Lanco. I just see more and more people coming into that area for work, live, and play. Ursal, you, you talk about uh, that connectivity and what Indianapolis has built. And it would seem to me, as Bill French suggests there with the Lanco and White River State Park, the other stadiums, 
that this can be uh, a transformational project for that area. Yes, I think that was what was really the what made this the winner site is that we, we in 2019 we went out we said this is 11 Park transformational neighborhood development, mm -hmm. and we had apartments, retail office, and stadium to do that, and we got lucky. I mean, sites like that doesn't really come that often. Uh, this facility has been there in different versions, different for over 100 years. And really, Alanco coming in, a global company, I mean, to move a Fortune 1000 company to headquarters in Indianapolis, it's a once a lifetime generation. That just makes it even so much more important. Not only what we're going to do here, our responsibility is to, like you mentioned, White River Park, connecting the west side of downtown to here, us to do downtown itself and local soil, Victor Field, the White River Park, the, the museums and, and the concert venue to do this. So we feel like this is the linchpin for this area completely take off. Yep. It created a, a village and people live, work, play year round to do that. Stadium is just but for stadium. It's hard to do that. So it's mm -hmm. helping to make this dream come true. Give us an idea. You're going to be out with renderings before too long. You know, yes. But the stadium itself, what, what, what fans and others can expect uh, from the stadium. Yeah, and, and in the last 15 years, there's really no major city hasn't built a soccer stadium. You know, it, it wasn't only, it was only 20 some years ago the first one was built, but Nashville just opened mm -hmm. a new 30,000 seat. Nashville used to play in our league. They were averaging 6,000 when we did 10,000. Now they did move to MLS, but you've seen that Cincinnati same way. They build a 26.5. You've seen that when these teams are building new venues, the ex experience is becoming very, very special. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, people that enjoy the game not, which is great. But, you know, try to imagine this in a really purposely built new venue, especially in the middle of downtown, especially with all the mixed use around it. It's just going to be a special experience. We'll have our men's and women's, mm -hmm. but that's really the smaller component of that. We, we've had international game before. We've had a game at Lucas Oil Stadium in mm -hmm. 2013, two big European clubs. Uh, we'll have a lot of concerts. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, you know, before, you know, at the NCAA Final Four, mm -hmm. there was a promoter looking for a host a, con a concert, and the White River was 6,000. We believe that you can have 25,000 plus people in a concert. So we'll actually become the largest concert venue. I'm not saying we're going to make it a concert yeah. venue, but having another venue downtown that you can host large concerts, it is high school games, NCAA games, um, it being ancillary to other events mm -hmm. that we have at the NFL, Colts, you know, Lucas Oil and baseball to do that. So we'll host some events. We'll also support other events the city hosts or the convention center hosts to make sure that people are visiting Indianapolis having a great place to go yeah a live workplace uh, in, around the downtown. I know you're anxious to get started. More work to do with the city and the state. But uh, Ursal Ozdemir, congratulations on the deal. We'll look forward to following the project going forward. Thank you. Okay. We're looking forward to it. After a decade leading the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership as president and CEO, David Johnson is retiring. The partnership has grown dramatically from 30 to 113 people under his leadership, added two of six industry sector initiatives, Agrinovis Indiana and Ascend Indiana. David is on the show this week to talk about that growth and what's next. Reflecting uh, back, and it seems in some ways the launch of BioCrossroads in 2005 seems like yesterday, but gosh, that's been, you know, well over 15 years. Right. You started out as a community volunteer, basically, in the early 2000s, and that led to that role at, at BioCrossroads. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Bart Peterson at the time was interested in looking at what was the next thing for the downtown Mile Square. 
there was a regional planning process and he asked a business volunteer to be in it and I raised my hand and did that. He was kind enough to let me do it. And what I became aware of was there were all these life sciences companies that were here. I knew them, their leaders, and they knew each other socially, but no one had ever thought about what could we do together. And yeah. so that's how BioCrossroads got started. Yeah. That does go back to 2001. Give me your, your kind of quick assessment of BioCrossroads. Life sciences, such an important sector. BioCrossroads, such an important part of that growth. What's the impact of BioCrossroads been and, and is today? It's, it's, it's enormous. I mean, for, first of all, that sector is Indiana's, in, in many ways, premier sort of substantive sector that we have. Mm -hmm. It always has been. It just hadn't ever been organized before. And when it got organized, there was a lot more growth that was possible. There was more supply chain to come in here. There was more development, and you still see that happening today. And that's not just BioCrossroads. That's a lot of people coming together. What BioCrossroads did, though, was to make Indiana a credible place for life sciences companies to come and develop and to realize that, hey, we're coming and joining part of something else. We knew we had one of the top 10 rated in terms of jobs and numbers of companies, sectors in the country, but no one else did. Mm -hmm. And so what BioCrossroads did was to organize that, to figure out opportunities like, like OrthoWorks or the Indiana Health mm -hmm. Information Exchange, or the Indiana Biosciences Research Institute, or even 16 Tech. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Agronovus itself came as a BioCrossroads project. So it, it, it sparked a number of good projects, but most of all, it gave everybody a sense of who we are and what we could do. You ultimately transitioned to lead as CEO the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, right. uh, which is the umbrella organization for all of these uh, initiatives. And there's been tremendous growth there. You mentioned the Indiana uh, Business Research uh, Institute and 16 Tech, many years in the making that now are coming to life. Yeah, I mean, it actually 16 Tech goes back to that regional planning process mm. of 2001, where we were looking at what, what was the last big piece of the near downtown to be developed, and that's where 16 Tech is today. Mm -hmm. We all had an entrepreneurial strategy to develop that. The problem is none of us knew anything about commercial real estate, and we didn't have an anchor tenant to get it started. Mm -hmm. When the Biosciences Research Institute came into being and it did provide some financial stability there. That was the moment that the city and we and mm -hmm. others recognized we could actually get 16 Tech started. Yeah, it, it is interesting to me too that the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership and some BioCrossroads, these initiatives are nationally recognized. They, people in other parts of the country look to Indianapolis and are trying to copy what's what's happened here. Yeah, I, I would say, uh, that's thank you Gary, that's true. And I would say that the city's actually nationally recognized. So there was a book, The New Localism, put out by Bruce Katz and Jeremy Nowak in 20 2018, and it cites Indiana as the global best, Indianapolis, I'm sorry, as the global best practice for what they call network governance. And what they mean by that is the right combination of public sector leaders, private sector leaders, entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. participants all across the board, community volunteers coming together and organizing around specific stuff to get mm -hmm. done. Yep. And a very informal but very wide-ranging structure no one organization doing everything, but CICP sort of being the intermediary that that, yeah. that herds the cats and, and puts it together. Unfortunately, 20 seconds ago or so, but big, big focus going forward uh, as talent uh, right at the top Ta there. Talent, talent will always be right there. Technology, digital adoption uh, is, is right at the top of the list. A number of things you're going to see on that. And finally, I, 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 I need to mention uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. We need to be sure that all of these conversations are far more inclusive than they have been. I'm very proud of the Business Equity for India initiative that we in the Indy Chamber and the Urban League are, are doing and is showing tremendous progress. Going strong after years. two years. Yeah. yeah, very good. David Johnson uh, retiring. Still got some time left. Uh, still got some time and still some more stuff I want to come back and talk to you about. Gary. Oh, well, we'll look forward to good. that. And thanks again good. for your leadership. Thanks a lot. Too. I appreciate right. it. Thank you. 
Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. It's time now to go inside innovation. Indianapolis-based tech startup Holder has created what it calls the first crypto-focused customer relationship management platform. With more on how it works and what the future might hold for the first Web3 business to launch out of High Alpha, we are joined this week by Holder CEO Drew Beechler. Talking about a red-hot industry that I think so many people don't know exactly what it is. Cryptocurrency, digital currency. Uh, how does Holder address issues in the industry? Yeah. You know, over the last couple of years, we've just seen a dramatic explosion in the space. Mm-hmm. There's so many new businesses being started. And a lot of these businesses are struggling with uh, very similar problems that every other business kind of struggles with, but they lack a lot of the tools necessary to kind of help manage their business, uh, communicate and market to their customers. And so a lot of what we're doing are building some of the early products to just help them connect to their customers in a better way. Yeah. And real focus areas, I understand, and NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Yes. Explain what those are and, and how that relates to your business. Yeah. And so a non-fungible token is really just a digital good that lives on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have kind of an immutable or a permanent record of who owns this asset and kind of what happened in mm-hmm. its entire history. And so we're able to use uh, with these customers that we're working with kind of that are selling non-fungible tokens. They really struggle with knowing who owns this asset and we kind of help them know who their customers are and how do you uh, market and communicate to them in a better way. Who, who are your customers, your clients, or give us a kind of a thumbnail description. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talk about kind of uh, Web3 businesses as a mm-hmm. whole and really uh, there's some businesses that are, I would say, Web3 native. They sell an NFT or they sell a cryptocurrency. And then there's a lot of, over the last year, we've seen a, a large amount of traditional businesses also launching NFT projects. Mm-hmm. So we work with uh, Cameo Pass, which is a big startup based out of Chicago that launched an NFT uh, earlier this year. And everyone from Budweiser and Pepsi have now kind of broken into the space. And so there's a big kind of demand on both sides of the industry, really. You talk about companies and again, big name traditional companies breaking into the space. Give us an idea in your view of the, the growth opportunity here in this uh, in this space. Yeah, we think there's just uh, an incredible opportunity for growth. The, the industry has grown something like 220x over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and in particular, I think there's just so much opportunity for a lot of the traditional businesses as they move into the space too, uh, to help them kind of come up to speed quickly in, in Web3 um, as well. A lot of focus on cryptocurrency, uh, kind of hot spots on the coasts, uh, east and west coast. But as we were talking off camera, uh, obviously Holder is one, but other crypto related companies are popping up here in Indiana. Yeah, it's exciting to see. And I think uh, we have an opportunity to kind of uh, build a new hub around cryptocurrency and Web3 here in Indianapolis. And there's uh, definitely a good number of people that work remotely for coastal companies here in Indy and a, and a growing group of folks that work kind of directly in Web3 here in Indianapolis. And we're excited to be to be one of those based here in Indy. Yeah, well, I should mention too, you launched, uh, incubated and launched out of High Alpha, which is that tremendous uh, incubator, accelerator, 30 plus companies now. Talk about that experience. So really what High Alpha, because I know you were with High Alpha for a number of years, what that means for the, the tech community in Indiana. Yeah, High Alpha is such uh, an amazing uh, place to be and uh, it's such an amazing partner for us too. So I spent seven years there at High Alpha uh, helping to start over 30 companies and uh, caught the startup bug myself and super uh, 
very humbled and uh, excited to be launching this with them and get to partner with them and work with all the team uh, that I worked with there for, for such a long time. Uh, their impact on the city over the last seven years has just been incredible. Yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot of room still to go. Yeah, very cool space over at uh, Bottleworks as well. So uh, exciting story. Drew Beachler is the CEO at Holder Cryptocurrency coming to uh, Indiana in a bigger way. Drew, thanks for joining us and good luck going forward. Thanks so much for having yeah, me. All right. Two health systems in central Indiana are joining forces with the Mayo Clinic. Hancock Health and Hendricks Regional Health say the partnership connects Hoosiers to world-renowned healthcare close to home. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta has more. Hancock Health in East Central Indiana and Hendricks Regional Health just west of Indianapolis announced this week that they've joined the Mayo Clinic Care Network. While the two hospitals are remaining independent of each other, care teams at both health systems will now have quick access to some of the best medical specialists in the world. Joining me now to tell us what this means for Hoosiers, doctors and patients is Steve Long, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Hancock Health, and Kevin Spear, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Hendricks Regional Health. Welcome both to the show and congratulations. Thank you very Thank you. much. Morning, Kevin. Kevin, let's start with you. What does this mean at the end of the day for doctors at both of your health systems? Well, for both health systems, we have physicians who practice locally and stand out nationally. But no matter how good you are and how well trained you are, there's always that unique patient, that unique situation where um, you turn to your peers for added um, advice, additional consultation. And with this relationship, now our experts have experts and those experts will be at the Mayo Clinic. Um, and they're an email or a phone call away um, to help consult on some of the most difficult situations. Some of the best experts in the world, no doubt. Steve, explain sort of the flip side of that for who's your patients at the end of the day. What does this partnership mean? Well, indeed, and you know what patients really are looking for is peace of mind. They're in the midst of a medical dilemma and they want to know that they're getting the very best care that's possible, but they also want to be as close to home as possible. So this allows us to have the best of both worlds because they can stay right in Hendricks, Hendricks County or Hancock County and they can see their local expert who is hooked to that, that worldwide expert at the Mayo Clinic. So they get peace of mind and they get the very best care close to home. Right. And like you said, at a time when I'm sure they want that peace of mind to know they're getting the best care. All right. There's 45 member organizations that are part of this Mayo Clinic Care Network. What do you think it was about your health systems? This is a pretty elite group. What do you think caught the eye of the Mayo Clinic for both of you? Kevin, I'll let you answer that one. Well, it, it was a very thorough vetting process. And um, I can tell you that it's based on um, culture, both your culture of safety, your um, culture of patient care. Um, it's based on publicly available um quality scores from LeapFrog, from CMS. And then um, it's a lot of interviews. It's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of reviewing of policies, procedures, um, and how we do things. And and at the end of the day, um, both Hancock and Hendricks were privileged to ask to join this very elite group. And I feel like this is becoming a common thing. We've been reporting on this a lot where local health systems are joining forces with really big national names. Steve, can you explain why is this a trend in healthcare right now. Sure. And I think we can look back to the founder of the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Will Mayo. Back in 1910, he said, in order to provide the very best care for patients, a union of forces is necessary. The whole idea is that it takes more than one doctor, one mind to put into the mix to, to achieve that very best care. So I think that we all realize that together we are better. And this is just one of the models that achieves that. 
And I want to talk a little bit about specialties that might benefit more from this, or I'm sure all of them will benefit. What specialties do you think will really be impacted by this partnership? Well, certainly I think that oncology is a big one. Uh, we have a lot of patients that come from all over East Central Indiana to our cancer center, and they, the cancer comes in all different forms, and it is unfortunately one of the biggest diagnoses that we have. So we foresee that that second opinion that they can get through our e-consults with the Mayo Clinic will be incredibly important. And what does the Mayo Clinic get? Uh, what is the benefit to them, sort of the flip side of the equation, by partnering with two local hospitals in central Indiana? So, so we've had a chance to have that discussion. You know, why, why us? Why this model? Um, the Mayo, it goes back to those original comments from the Mayo brothers about a union of forces. And um, they have an opportunity, as do we, to work collaboratively, collaboratively together. Um, they, they will send out questions, as we do, um, and together we get to the right answer. And Steve, only about 30 seconds left, but you made your announcement just probably a couple days ago. Explain what's next. Where do you go from here? Just here in the very beginning stages. Certainly. So we will plumb the depths of all of the resources that Mayo Clinic brings to us. That includes the e-consult process where we can get that consultative service from the Mayo Clinic, access to Ask Mayo Expert for our own physicians and nurses. So they have that access to a database 150 years in the making. So that's going to take some time. Well, Steve and Kevin, congratulations both. I know Thank this you. has been a long time. A lot of hard work went into this. So congratulations on the partnership. And thanks for being here today. Thanks Thank very, very much. much. Racing defined diamonds in the rough. Kids who have less access to opportunities when it comes to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. That's exactly what the mission of Penske Corporation's NXG Youth Motorsports program is. It uses go-kart racing and motorsports as a teaching tool for STEM concepts and is expanding beyond Indiana's borders to Michigan as well. President and founder of NXG Youth Motorsports, Rod Reed, joined Gary on the show to share more. NXG, I remember when you uh, really launched this, uh Mid-2000, 2006? 2006. Give us a thumbnail description uh, of the organization and what it's all about. Our mission is to try to help kids get a connection to the motorsports industry. And we have three sort of uh, principles that we like to uh, impart. Is one, we use motorsports to connect them to life skills, to give them some STEM application, as well as potentially careers in motorsports and understanding what can be if they were to uh, pursue that kind of career. And I know uh, Roger Pinsky's acquisition of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway ha has really been a good thing for your organization, right? Tell us Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I met with Roger Pinsky in, in June of 2020, and we sat down and talked about the fact that uh, our program had been conducting classes at the Speedway for 14 years at the time, and he was unaware of it. So he thought, boy, this would be great to have a partnership where we have a local community-based organization can be connected to his you know, mm -hmm. national, if not worldwide uh, yeah. organization. And so um, we made an agreement that we would work together to see if we can't, what I call, bridge that gap mm -hmm. between the community and the motorsports world. Now, you're really focused on middle school students, right? Kind of 11 to 15-ish? 11 uh, to 15, fifth grade math and science and English yeah. up to about high school. Talk about how you do it because it's a weekend program, right? And and, and you, you get kids in there and you, you meld or, or, or merge STEM principles, racing principles, and life skills uh, as well. Together, yes. We have an eight-hour 
program each weekend over Saturday and Sunday. And the idea here is that we take kids and t use go-karting as the hook or the lure to get them to understand some math concepts. How does that relate to driving on the track? Because racing is all about geometry and physics, and we bring that out. And the whole idea is that you can understand that. You don't have to be a daredevil to be a race car driver. You just have to be a good mathematician mm -hmm. at some times and maybe a good scientist. And at the same time, just a good thinker, which are those skills are transferable to our lives. Yeah, and on the back end of this, this is something that can feed the pipeline. Uh, the motorsports industry, which is so important to Indianapolis and to Indiana. And I think it's interesting. You've launched a, a, uh, an Indy Lights team, right? And have actually hired a couple of products of the, the program. Yeah, we have two young men, uh, Derek Morris and Stu uh, uh, Kelly. They were 11 and 12 years old in my program in the 2006-2007 yeah. uh, curriculum. And they now are the first hires of Force Indy. And we went into Indy Lights this year, working, learning. Uh, but we've had a great deal of success. As a matter of fact, last year, that team was the first African-American-led team to win wow. an IndyCar sanctioned event. Wow. And uh, with these kids, and this just goes to show you what we can do in terms of influencing young yeah. young people. Congratulations on the success on the track and Thank also you. with the program because it's having a big impact uh, with young people. Uh, Rod Reed, th uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Fort Wayne native and former deputy campaign manager for Mike Pence, Mark Lauder, is this week's guest on our Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. Subscribe for free from your favorite podcast provider. The stock market and its impact on Indiana companies, plus what could developers potentially find when they start turning the dirt at the new site for an Indy 11 soccer complex. IBJ editor Leslie Weidenbenner joins Gary to discuss these stories and a whole lot more. A lot of attention, unfortunately, much of it in a negative light on the stock market. I know you've got a piece this weekend uh, in the IBJ really dealing with the impact uh, uh, here closer to home in Indiana. Yeah. If you're looking at your retirement funds, you know that Stocks are down by double digits since the beginning of the year. But Indiana stocks have actually done a little better. If you look at the Bloomberg Indiana Index, which takes into account uh, Indiana stocks and weights them based on how large the company is, uh, you'll see that actually Indiana stocks overall are uh, in the black. Uh, not by much, but they are not down overall. Of course, that depends a lot on the individual stocks. But that's driven a lot by Eli Lilly and company, where uh, the stock price is way up, and also by companies like Steel Dynamics. Uh, interesting. Uh, okay. Interesting story you have this week, too. The secretive world of PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers. Yeah, these are the companies or organizations that do the negotiating with pharmacies and drug companies to settle on prices that your insurance company, that a, like a company's insurance company will charge to its members. They're controversial in that there's not a lot of transparency about how they do their jobs, about how they set prices. And so there's going to be more state and federal regulation and more scrutiny of what they're doing. And our reporter, John Russell, wraps all that up. Complicated okay. topic, but he's making it simpler. Very good. Hey, uh, quickly, Diamond Chain, that property in downtown Indianapolis, getting a lot of attention as the site for the future. Uh, 11 Park, the Indy 11 st soccer stadium and more. Could be some interesting developments as they, they begin to turn dirt there. 
Yeah, Mickey Shuey's got a great piece on the history of this site, which was Indianapolis's first burial ground. Huh. Now, most of those bodies were eventually moved, but you never know what you're going to find when you start digging. And then, of course, as an industrial site, there are probably some environmental questions. So he just takes a look at the history there. Lots of interesting stuff. As always, Wes- uh, Leslie Weidenbitter, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much, Gary. It's time now for a deeper dive into some of the week's top stories with our Insiders panel. Gary is joined this week by Indy Chamber Vice President of Indianapolis Economic Development, Portia Bailey Bernard, your Moneyline CEO, Peter Dunn, and Bose McKinney and Evans partner, Victor Smith. I want to start about economic development, Victor. Um, That is your bailiwick, uh, certainly among many others. But uh, big announcement, semiconductor announcement at Purdue. A Taiwanese company announcing uh, its first uh, partnership with an American university. Uh, Substantial investment, be about 30 jobs or so. What's the significance of this? Well, two things I would say. It's it's next generation chip design, which is really important to bring back to the United States. The first thing I'd say. Um, The second thing, I think it's a really good affirmation to Purdue and their recent decision for the the degree programs in the semiconductor field. I think uh, this is affirmation that it's that the that the market wants that. Um, I think a lot of these uh, semiconductor uh, plants and investments that we've seen are going to be focused around major universities, and I think Purdue is really doing a good job to help attract some of those. Yeah. Uh, President um, Mitch Daniels and and Dean Meng Cheng, mm-hmm. uh, both personally involved in that, I know, and um, I don't think this is the last uh, semiconductor related investment yeah. that we'll see up in those. I- interesting as a follow up to that, Meng Cheng, the the incoming president, starts January. One, uh, I sense he's going to be involved in, in a lot of these economic development deals. Yeah, I mean, personally, we're, we're involved in several projects right now, mm-hmm. and we've seen his direct involvement. Uh, he is he is an economic development focused person. Uh, the kind of the practical approach of of Purdue being a partner with business to solve problems, mm-hmm. uh, it, rather than just the pursuit of of mm-hmm. of, of yeah. what an academic purpose. Yeah, yeah. A couple of uh, big announcements this week regarding logistics and transportation. DHL uh, an- announcing expanding its uh, supply chain presence in central Indiana. Uh, 400 jobs at a Johnson County facility. Also, uh, Jones Trucking announcing an investment uh, in uh, Delaware County or Muncie as well. Uh, Portia, as you look at especially the DHL announcement, a lot of jobs and uh, uh, presence, expanding presence. It's an important industry for, for the region. It's a very important industry for the region. When I'm out pitching to businesses and companies to relocate and expand in Indianapolis, this is something we, we out for for folks um, to want to be here. Transit is just so important. It presents educational opportunities, job opportunities, business attraction and investment in neighborhoods. And so it's definitely a key component to our economy. It's crazy to think uh, on on all areas of the city, uh, the Circle City at least, you keep connecting to these other cities, Mm -hmm. up 69, up 65 in the last story, 70. And and the Crossroads of America is just getting bigger and bigger and better for business. Yeah, Mm -hmm. literally the Crossroads. Uh, Another connector, if you will, the recent announcement uh, by Indy 11 of uh, a new stadium in downtown Indianapolis, uh, the Diamond Chain site, uh, which is very close to Alanco's new corporate campus, White uh, White River State. Park, other stadiums, Lucas Oil, uh, Victory Field, etc. But connecting, that's been a big part of the Indianapolis success story, being very connected. This project, which is a stadium, but a lot more residential retail. Uh, your thoughts on that, Pete? People are really excited about it. Now, I'm the assistant coach of a 13-year-old girl's soccer team, <laughs> so I'm sort of an expert at this topic. 
not only uh, you know is soccer the hottest sport in America right now, but the women's Indy 11 team is on fire as well. So I'm thrilled. I will be a season ticket holder down there. Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. Portia, as you look at that and what that can become, ultimately, soccer, of course, in the stadium, but the additional development. Around. I mean, this mixed-use development is going to completely transform mm-hmm. the Southwest mm-hmm. Corridor. And it's, it's pretty much on par with what we're seeing across the country. And no longer developers building just a freestanding mm-hmm. stadium, but more this comprehensive district. We're seeing in Atlanta. We saw it in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to the Southwest Corridor. It's going to be amazing yeah. there. And I think the scope of the project is pretty impressive. This is a live, work, and play village, really, right. is what it is. And talk about connectors. It's also connecting the new Alanco headquarters yeah. right across the river. It's going to be lighting up and igniting the White River State Park expansions, I think, along the river and then with the Lucas Oil Steam. So it's it's a it's perfectly poised to be a good connector. And it's going to be interesting to see because it, it takes all partners. It's going to mm-hmm. take the city. Yes. It's going to take the state. And it's going to take private sector which we're really good at. Yeah. Um, so right. look forward to this project. Victor, as you look at this, uh, everybody talks about talent. Do you see this project? And again, you mentioned Alanco and what that area can become as being uh, really a magnet for talent, whether it's for there or just Indianapolis in general, looking at that kind of development being something that's going to say, hey, for especially younger people say, yeah. hey, I maybe I want to want to live there. I, I think so. I mean, just, you, you mentioned Alanco there. You know, there's going to be about 2000 fairly young people down there on campus. Is here, you know, in the next couple of years. So I think I think it all plays well. I really do. Yeah. Um, another big story this week, uh, an important organization for uh, Central Indiana, much of the state, the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, announcing a leadership change. David Johnson, who's been the CEO there for 10 years or so, uh, announcing stepping down at the end of the year. So um, a leadership transition there. There's been a lot of growth, certainly, at CICP and its uh, member organizations, BioCrossroads and Conexus and Agri. Novus, any number of those organizations. Portia, as you look at, at at what's next for CICP. It's exciting. I mean, CICP is a close partner with the Indy Chamber. A huge initiative we're working on now is Business Equity for Indy, which is set on creating more of an inclusive, equitable economy for mm-hmm. Indy's black residents. And, and I mean, David's just such a phenomenal leader and very forward thinking about the key sectors in Indiana's economy and our workforce. So, I mean, I'm sad to see David go. Those are big shoes to fill, but it's an exciting time for a new voice and change. Yeah. You know, back in the 80s when sports became a big deal in Indianapolis, you thought that would write our history for quite some time and has. I think the CICP is in that same sort of vein mm-hmm. with these tech companies, integration with the you know, tech point. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, and this is a big story. I yeah. think it's really important. And CICP has been recognized, that organization and some of the member organizations nationally as kind of a model for other communities. Victor, as you look at it and what it has become with, again, Agrinovas, Ascend Indiana, these groups that have really begun to, to, to flourish. It's, it's been a good way to tie industries together and mm-hmm. companies within certain industries together. That's for sure. It's also been a good partner, as Portia mentioned, for the economic development teams because you can point to consortias of companies that are in Conexus, uh, you know, Agrinovus. You can, you, can, you can point to those. I think this also is going to provide a good opportunity for CICP to take a look at this as an opportunity. With every change, there's an opportunity to see what is it that they want to, that they want to do, that they want to focus 
focus on. Maybe they want to add some things, consolidate some things. I don't know, but I'm saying mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for them to better what their mission and, and, and delivery yeah. skill. As we talk about economic impact, economic development, the economy is in focus and, and has been for a while. Um, inflation, obviously, is, is front and center. And uh, the Indiana Farm Bureau are out with their annual Fourth of July cookout expense uh, uh, survey, if you will, 13% higher this year for burgers and all the things you do at your cookout. I've solved the problem. I'm going to my in-laws. I'll make them pay for it. <laughs> I'll say this. People love complaining about inflation, Gary. I've not seen it change behavior yet. Yet. Really? It, not yet. Okay. Not yet. It's going too soon because it's it's starting to crush people. I've yeah. warned people coming to my cookout. I'm a vegetarian now. <laughs> yeah. We will have lentils, rice, and no beans. Meat. <laughs> yeah. No That's meat. Yeah. yeah, Victor. Okay, crystal ball. How, how do you see this inflation thing playing out here? Do you think? You know, it's inevitable, right? If 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 conditions stay the way they are, they're going to have an impact, like Pete said. And mm -hmm. I, I I really just think it's a matter of time. Yep. It, it is. Unfortunately, it's a yep. matter of time. Victor Smith, Portia Bailey-Bernard, Pete the Planner, Peter Dunn, thanks very much for joining us. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments as well as the top business news from throughout the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to our platform of e-newsletters. This is Alex Brown for Inside Indiana Business.